Welcome back, everybody. It's yet another week here with me, your host, Akash Pat, on the Desi VC podcast, a show where I bring you leading Indian investors to spell out their thesis, mantras, and secrets about investing in tech startups. This week on the show, we have Rohan Malhotra, co-founder and managing partner of Good Capital, a Delhi-based early-stage fund who take a bottom-up approach to problem-solving and values first principles thinking. Rohan and I first met in 2014 when he and his brother Arjun were starting InvestorPad. Well, what's InvestorPad? I think you'll have to wait slightly longer to learn more about it, and I'll let Rohan speak to what it's all about. We've since kept in touch, and I'm a huge admirer of what they achieved with InvestorPad and are now building with good capital. Rohan's also an exception in that he's a millennial VC and among the very few young managing partners within the Indian VC ecosystem. And in this episode, we'll explore why he thinks it's a great time to be in the venture space and how he and Good Capital are thinking about investing in the country. So let's jump straight into the episode and listen to Rohan and what he has to offer us. Rohan, welcome to the podcast. We're finally able to sit down and do this. It's taken a little bit of time for us to set this up, but I'm thrilled to have you here and looking forward to our chats. So how's everything been for you personally and at Good Capital? Akash, it's my absolute pleasure. Uh, I'm certainly the one to blame for that. So thank you for making the time. I think uh, uh, two very different stories. I think personally in Good Capital, um, I think on the personal front, uh, it's been quite quite the year. Um, we are currently, uh, we, we completed our first close of the fund late last summer and have till the end of 2020 to do our second close. We're five investments old as, uh, as Good Capital Fund One right now. And, um, you know, I think all in all, we've been quite fortunate uh, because we are not carrying much of a legacy portfolio and the fact that we've led most of the seed rounds that we've done over the course of the last nine or 10 months since the fund, is, fund has been active we you know, find ourselves in a pretty sort of fortuitous position where most of our companies are incredibly well capitalized for between the next uh, sort of 18 and 36 months. So it's been a, it's been a you know, fortunate journey for us um, on the work front. I guess my work and personal life ties in pretty deeply with each other. Um, but uh, in the middle of the lockdown, I find myself um, sitting in London. I certainly won't say stuck in London, the, the sun is shining. Of the 60 days I've been here, it's only rained three. So, uh, so I've had quite, uh, quite the good fortune. Uh, but obviously, you know, working in the hours has been, uh, hasn't been the easiest thing in the world. But uh, it's actually a great time to be working you know, closely with our portfolio, staying constantly in touch with our LPs right now. And, um, and you know, we're, we're sort of interested to see how things unfold in time to come and are hopeful that uh, you know, the world gets back to some sense of or some semblance of normal as we, uh, as we once knew it. You've been very lucky on the weather front. And uh, well, <laughs> congratulations on the fund. I followed your journey. It's been great. Uh, both you and Arjun have done an amazing job. And Arjun is your brother and managing partner at the fund. So yes, I love the name. First of all, I wanted to start off there. It's got such a noble sort of a ring to it. How did that come about? 
Uh, well, I mean, uh, it's it's a pretty unglamorous story, to be brutally honest. Um, Arjun and I were kind of at our wit's end about what we should name the fund, and both of us have pretty different taste in, uh, you know, where we really derived uh, the excitement for a, for a quirky or an interesting name uh, from. But I think, you know, look, first first and foremost, uh, at that point in time, remember, we already were, were running Investopad as an operational business. I think Investopad had done a lot of good work in building this sort of offline and online community and ecosystem for the betterment, uh, you know, of early stage entrepreneurs in India. And for us, we never wanted to taint the sort of image and reputation of Investopad with a fund. So we always felt that it would be very important to separate out and spin out the sort of fun business altogether. Uh, I think that good is just, you know, it, it's something that, uh, you know, it, it's our mantra. It, it's sort of how we look at the world. It's how we, it's it's the type of entrepreneurs we look to back. It's the type of companies we look to back. Um, and, you know, we hope that the sort of sum total of everything that we do is is in fact positive and, uh, and hence the name. That's amazing. And for all of our listeners who are not aware about Investopad, correct me if I'm wrong here, Rohan, but Investopad was an early stage tech incubator where you guys served as the startup's extended team and helped them, you know, reimagine some of the things that they were building. It could be on the hiring front, could be development, could be product. You guys were really their 12th man. Sure. You know, that, thank you. That's a really, you know, that's the first time I've heard somebody explain it so cohesively. It's interesting because it's always difficult Look, after all these years, I always sort of still struggle to really pin down what Investopad's USP really was. But, you know, I think the whole idea was that you were seeing a lot of high quality entrepreneurs uh, building businesses. But, you know, sadly, there was a couple of uh, road bumps uh, that they would hit while they were building businesses. A lot of that was operational work, BD, scale, digital marketing, growth. So for us, you know, really the most important thing became uh, you know, placing key stakeholders in a company's journey uh, incredibly early. These are normally people that know a domain or an industry incredibly well. And we try and get them to sort of work closely with these companies as informal mentors or advisors, and then sort of perhaps look at co-investing in a lot, in a lot of these businesses with us. So I think, interestingly, that's not dissimilar to how, you know, Good Capital came about as well, because we found that placing these case, key stakeholders at the heart of the business discovery phase was a really sort of transformative manner to work with businesses and it added a lot of intrinsic value early in their life cycle. So, you know, at Investopad, Arjun and I basically invested our personal money and then we would sort of syndicate rounds with friends, family, and other sort of uh, members of the, of the ecosystem and ended up investing in about a dozen or so businesses. And we're very, very fortunate there are those 12 or so companies uh, We've actually already realized nine of them and we returned every invested dollar back within the fourth year. And that was kind of the evolution of good capital, right? That's sort of how we came about to raise a larger corpus uh, through this, you know, institutional fund that we look to build. And the idea very much, and, you know, you asked about the name, you know, it's sort of, you know, it, you know, it, it's a legacy that we want to build that sort of lasts, you know, beyond just the, the two brothers, right? So I think, uh, you know, that's something that we take very, very seriously as well. And that's one of the reasons we chose to institutionalize versus, you know, carry on deploying our own personal assets or sort of do deal by deal syndicates. I love that story. It's been an amazing journey for you guys. And, you know, Thanks, I want to rewind the clock a little bit and, you know, really understand what led you to initially start Investopad 
and eventually then good capital like how does that whole journey come about what are some of the key events in your career earlier on that made you feel okay this is the kind of field and profession that i want to be in was it accidental were you did you guys give it a thought because it looks mm-hmm. like both you and arjun almost had to collectively come together and say hey this is something that we can do how did that unfold for you guys you know great question right i mean for us it was a very interesting journey uh, look i'll give you a little bit of background our father had set up a company called ICS in India in the 80s which provided turnkey computer education for schools and universities and in i guess it's today what we call a full stack business right they uh, they train teachers they build their manuals themselves they do a little bit of work around hardware and software and uh, the the sort of culmination of that was uh, computer labs as we knew them at schools you know when we were at school in India right so uh that was a really interesting journey and and though we had nothing to do with the business whatsoever i think the one thing that we saw which was really interesting was the kind of impacts that technology had at scale in india and both arjun and i were always enamored by that and i think that in our hearts we knew that no matter you know where we go and you know where we live where we work uh an eventual goal was would be to come back home and build something uh you know you know build a business using technology or build a platform you know for technology um down the road and that was kind of like a you know like an unwritten agreement between the two of us uh our back story uh, is very very similar uh we were both born and raised in delhi uh we lived there till we were 13 we went to boarding school in the uk at 14 um went to university here in the uk as well and then throughout arjun so you know arjun's story is a lot more direct right throughout his time at university he interned for uh, capricorn investment group which is a large um barrier based multifamily office that do a lot of direct um direct investing in businesses they've been investors in uh, in spacex and tesla uh, planet labs a bunch of fascinating companies that have really changed the dimension and way in which certain industries work uh so for him you know i think he was always from the get go enamored by uh venture capital as an asset class and the kind of positive impact that venture investing has on ecosystems and the world at large my story is completely different i accidentally you know fell into uh, what i do today uh the 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 joke at home is that uh, it's the it's the dog that wags the tail so it's my my little brother's the dog and I'm the tail that wags along with it <laughs> but uh, the true story is a little different um uh you know my i have a background in sport i played uh, two two sports at a at a pretty high level representing my state in one and 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 uh, india and the other and i was always interested and enamored by the business of sport um and once i graduated university you know like everybody else in my in my management class i was sort of driven to you know go and work in an investment bank and you know and and i had uh, i had two offers lined up for me um but you know leading up to starting my my professional career you know i i just banking wasn't something that really enamored or excited me and you know my love for sports sort of really resonated it still does and i was fortunate to um you know work at a large uh, sports and talent agency called the Wasserman Media Group which you and I share in common <laughs> um and at Wasserman you know we worked on managing a bunch of athletes and negotiating uh, you know large media and broadcasting contracts and truth be told akash a lot of what i do today is not in you know not different from what i did at Wasserman uh, i firmly believe that you know we run our our investment business very much 
like a service. Uh, the idea at Wasserman was that we manage a bunch of phenomenal athletes. Uh, we put the world's best trainers, dietitians, psychologists, physiotherapists around them to be able to give them the best platform or springboard to be able to succeed. And today, very little has changed. Uh, we just simply replace athletes with entrepreneurs and try and put whatever skill sets, best skill sets they need around them to be able to give them their best chance at success. So, uh, you know, I ended up learning a lot from my, my previous career, but um, it wasn't such a, such a direct progression. Uh, you know, Arjun convinced me while I was at Wasserman to move out to the Bay Area and join him for a little bit of time. We ended up going and working for a small um, accelerator called uh, Extreme Startups, which is based between the Bay Area and Toronto. And uh, Extreme was this fascinating company, which, you know, way back in the day, bet that the world would move mobile first. Uh, and through uh, all the fantastic work they were doing in developing products for Fortune 100 companies, they also spun out a small seed fund called Extreme Venture Partners and an accelerator called Extreme Startups. And they have a pretty impressive track record themselves as venture investors. So that's really where I learned the business you know, of venture investing. And uh, we're very, very fortunate. The partners at Extreme uh, today remain dear friends and mentors, serve on our advisory board and are all LPs in the fund. So you know, incredibly lucky to work with people that sort of led the path for us. Uh, and really taught us, uh, you know, uh, taught us the business of, of venture very, very early on. And it was then in 2000 and towards the end of 2013 when Arjun and I moved back to India to launch InvestoFat. That's beautiful. All of the experiences that you've had has some way come together full circle, either at InvestoFat or now at Good Capital. And I find that very, very interesting. And I'm extremely curious. You guys started early. You guys started young. How did mm -hmm. you two figure out how to help companies when you guys were both building your first venture together? How does that whole so, you know, play out? Yeah, no, great question, uh, Akash. You know, really interesting, right? I think that for us, um, it's almost been, you know, a, a way of doing business, right? That if you're sort of stuck or if you want to learn more about an industry, you know, why don't we try and find, you know, people that we know within our own network that knew that domain, you know, 10 times better than we did. And, you know, during all those interactions, we always found that that was an incredibly effective, efficient and beneficial way to address problems. And we felt like, you know, a similar sort of mechanism would translate uh, while we were looking at building InvestoPad. And, you know, I think in, in the world of venture, right, I fast forward, you know, sort of seven, eight years now we've been at this. Uh, in the world of venture, you know, all of us have a habit of talking about, you know, upside and, and realizing upside, which is a great story. But very few people talk about, you know, downside and downside management. And I think that, you know, somewhere when you're investing in a business, uh, there's a reason why a business doesn't scale beyond a certain point. And that certainly doesn't mean that it's worthless, uh, you know, or irrelevant just because they may not have been able to scale. They may still have a phenomenal team. They may still have phenomenal products. So I think by surrounding ourselves with people that knew domains incredibly well and sort of better than us, uh, I think the one thing we did quite well was, uh, you know, sort of we were able to manage a lot of downside in our, you know, in what we call, I guess, our fund zero portfolio. And I think that that was a, was a really, really good lesson. And I think that resonates as we, you know, scale to this fund and it will for future funds as well. I, I think that's very interesting because 
I wanted to eventually ask you this question at a later stage in the podcast, but I'm glad it came up organically at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, you said you're surrounding yourself with the right people, trying to understand how to go about and build successful companies, and therefore, eventually, that could help you build a successful platform through InvestorPad. Mm-hmm. Now, how, sure. what were some of the learnings that you took from that, which has now translated to good capital, where when you probably had to go out and raise funds externally through your LPs, you've been able to leverage that experience and say, hey, we went out and we built the secret system and we invested in some exciting early stage companies who we were able to be a part of uh, in terms Mm -hmm. of their journey and their growth. And now we want to either use the same sort of philosophy to investing um, and trying to take that to the next level. What are the initial conversations that you had with your LPs uh, when you were pitching the fund and the idea of the fund and how different was that from the initial investor pad model? Hey, man, you know, really, really, uh, you know, well phrased because uh, there's a couple of different questions that you asked there. Let me just break it down. Right. So uh, with Investopad, I think we were lucky because, look, we knew that we wanted to invest. We knew that the primary purpose of what we were doing was to invest. And the truth is that at Investopad, all the capital that we deployed was all our personal money. So we didn't really have the opportunity to lose that money. We had nothing else left. Right. So. Uh, for us, it was really, you know, a story about putting our money where our mouth is and trying to prove, you know, a fact that a, that a differentiated model can work in a in an ecosystem like India, and basis our track record there, uh, you know, it became well two things I think basis our track record there and basis the fact that we uh, had built out a differentiated model from any other, you know, fund in the country. I think we were relatively fortunate to be able to, you know, get in front of a lot of people that were receptive to that story and ended up backing us in the fund. Uh, fundraising itself is, you know, uh, everybody will tell you this, raising a first time fund as a, as a relatively unknown brand name as Good Capital is, is, is not easy. I think that, you know, we earned, uh, you know, we earned a couple of stripes doing our work at, um, at Investopad, but you know, I think you know the school of thought was that okay, you know, these guys have been good, good at building an ecosystem and picking a couple of you know interesting companies. Now, are you really you know do you, do you have the skill set to be able to build an investment institution out of that? So I think you know we're trying to prove that with good capital right now. We're very fortunate to work with some fantastic LPs who've you know not only been investors but friends, mentors, guides, sounding boards. Uh, advisors at, uh, you know, in sort of tricky times and tricky situations. And, uh, you know, we're hopeful uh, to be able to return similar results as we did, uh, you know, with our sort of fund zero in this first fund at Good Capital. What I found really interesting in that segment, Ron, is that you mentioned you've had some really good mentors and advisors and friends who have kind of come on board to be part of this journey with you uh, at Good Capital. Now, when you're raising funds, from LPs as fund managers, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you keep in mind and who are, how do you shortlist the kind of people that you want to raise funds from? Because yeah, there are HNIs, there are, there are institutions that you, you can go out and reach, raise capital from, but how aligned do they have to be with your philosophy and your core thinking and the way that you want to go ahead and build a thesis? What were those initial conversations like when you started pitching to these LPs? How aligned were you on the vision that you had for the fund? No, so um, look, you know, obviously for us, uh, we're not really, a, uh, you know, we're kind of bottoms up in the way we think about the investing world, right? Uh, you know, a lot of the companies we've backed uh, are behaviors that 
you know that 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 one really hasn't seen being productized before but we found those behaviors fascinating and we found a way to you know sort of back companies that were doing you know that were sort of manifesting that behavior and building businesses around them so you know our thesis has been quite unique uh you know just to give you a, a sort of high level overview 70% of what we do is india consumer for the next couple of 100 million people that are coming online and about 30% of what we do is uh, enterprise tech which is built in india but sold globally right so you know those are the sort of two key themes that we look at the world through and uh you know we sort of learned on you know on the job as to you know what we found enamoring and exciting i think that uh you know i don't have a crystal ball i can't tell you what the future holds i can't tell you what themes to invest in you know during during you know this pandemic but you know i can tell you a fundamentally sound business when i look at one and we love you know behaviors that are interesting and um and that's you know really 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 what sort of uh excites us right uh we sort of need to understand uh you know these behaviors intrinsically and then find a way to to back them so bottom up is really how we think about the world so as part of the thesis when you speak about 100 million users or the next 100 million users coming from the country are you focused on middle india and is that the opportunity or are you thinking of both urban india as well as middle india uh you know i think middle india is incredibly exciting for us i think you know india as we knew it uh you know was uh, kind of globally homogenous right the top 50 million users uh consume the same kind of uh, news uh, you know shop the same way online as as you and I do uh i think what's exciting and what geo has really opened up the floodgates for is this massive market which is totally underserved in india and honestly those are not people that will consume the same way as the top 50 million that are globally homogenous will right so for us you know a couple of focus areas have been how do we educate them how do we make sure we're you know they're consuming the right kind of content how, how do we make sure they're gainfully employed how do we make them a part of the gig economy uh, how do we make sure they're consuming the right stuff so i think that's really what excites us and i think that you know when you look at our portfolio you kind of see that you know manifest into uh, our investment portfolio me show is a business that we were very fortunate to lead the seed round into and then learn an awful lot from with it today remains uh, an incredibly good friend and you know we speak uh, regularly and uh, honestly you know it's it's been incredible to have a ringside view of his and sanjeev's journey as entrepreneurs they're they're you know guys that we have an immense amount of respect for but you know they are the ones that really taught us to sort of go after this market aggressively and uh, and you know we've been fortunate to be able to do that even through the fund in backing businesses like entry and simsim uh, this is very much the target audience that we're looking at now i was curious to find out how does a deal like misho come across your table like are you scouting yourselves or is this this is through the good karma and the good relationships that you have in the industry that kind of like you know pays back at some point uh so you know I'll tell you what I pray that every fund manager gets one new show in each fund of his and they'd be uh, you know they'd be incredibly lucky <laughs> look um vidit was uh, look everything that we see and do is pretty much through the investopad ecosystem at large right so i think that uh, the offline and online ecosystems that we built out through there attract a lot of high quality you know talent and uh, we get to you know know a lot of whether they're senior execs at tech tech companies or whether they're you know sort of uh, you know entrepreneurs who are building and scaling businesses uh, we meet a lot of interesting people uh, misho came to us through 
two existing portfolio company founders, Vidit and Sanjeev were at IIT Delhi with, um, with Rohit Taneja from a company called Maipulin, which we exited to, uh, to Wimmo. And, um, and then Sanjeev had then worked uh, with another portfolio company founder uh, for Sony in Japan. So uh, it was two of our existing portfolio company founders who we admired uh, sort of, you know, telling us uh, about Misho. And honestly, that was a fascinating story. We met Vidit and Sanjeev first when we were setting up our studio in Bangalore in January 2015, if I'm not mistaken. And um, sorry, no, we launched our studio in January 2016. We met them in the summer of 2015, towards the end of the summer in 2015. And at that point in time, they were building a business called Fashioneer, which was a hyper-local on-demand fashion delivery company. Uh, honestly, it had all the right buzzwords, right? The, the, the concept with that was that during sales season, there's excess supply and inventory that a lot of shops have. Uh, you know, as Fashioneer, they will pick up that inventory, bring it to your house. You can try on whatever you like and send back whatever you like. Uh, we didn't really see a scalable business there, but honestly, we loved Visit and Sanjeev and, uh, you know, got to, you know, got to become quite friendly with them, offered for them to camp out of our studio in Bangalore. And, you know, on our sort of regular catch-ups that we've had with, that we'd have with them, they ended up sort of unearthing this really interesting uh, behavior, which was that a lot of housewives were spending time scouring Facebook pages and then sharing inventory via WhatsApp and then, you know, sort of making a margin on that. And uh, they were convinced that, that, you know, that there was a large opportunity uh, in that market. And it was a behavior that we couldn't really understand because, you know, you wake up to 500 messages in a WhatsApp group full of, you know, saris or silver kameezes or anything that you and I may even be interested in. And, you know, I'd still, I'd still mute it. But there was no churn whatsoever, and you know people were interacting and engaging and, and actually sort of you know buying and selling on this platform. So we then put together a small uh, seed round with a couple of our friends who had relevant experience. Um, Rajul Garg from Leo Capital sort of uh, was was one of the first people that committed. Not through us, he met uh, Vidit and Sanjeev directly. But then we brought in a couple of our really good friends, uh, Maninder Gulati, who's the chief strategy officer at Oyo. Um, came and personally participated in the deal. Um, the, the a fund called Venture Highway, which is advised by Neer Jarora, who was then at WhatsApp, uh, also co-invested in the deal. And you know, honestly, at that point, having uh, you know that kind of insight and guidance from Neeraj was also incredibly valuable to the business. And um, we invested in February 2000. I remember 13th of February 2016. It's my birthday in 2016, where we signed the paperwork. And that summer, um, Vidit and Sanjeev got into YC. And um, honestly, there's really been no looking back. Uh, honestly, they had a huge, really, really difficult time raising their Series A. But I think once people saw then metrics and the kind of behavior that they were changing, um, you know, it was kind of curtains. And ever since then, it's been just the most incredible journey to have a, a you know a ringside view on. And uh, they've really inspired us to look at um, this market as 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 a large opportunity. And uh, a, a lot of our thesis uh, has been shaped by our investment in Nisho. We believe that for India consumer tech. You know, India is a country of merchants, middlemen, micro-entrepreneurs, traders. Uh, you know, globally, technology has cut them out of transactions. But in India, because our infrastructure is, is a little bit broken, 
these middlemen form ancillary infrastructure and are able to give consumers that delight that they want in being able to interact with a person rather than a screen and, and closing a transaction. And uh, that's really, you know, been a primary focus for us. Uh, Simpson do something very similar. Wealthy do something very similar. So a lot of the consumer bets that we make are with very much this focus and mindset. That's beautiful. I certainly wish every fund gets an opportunity to have a Misho on their portfolio. And it's been a beautiful journey for them. And it's a testament to the Middle India opportunity that a lot of VCs talk about. And they've gone on to raise close to $215 million in uh, capital till date. And, you know, I wanted to quickly understand, you guys caught them fairly, fairly early at the seed stage. This is pre-good capital. You guys were still investing out of investor power at that point. Now, when sure. you catch a success like that or a winner as early as you guys did, does that make your LP conversations even more easier when you're going out and raising funding for, say, good capital a couple of years later when you were thinking about putting together this fund? Or do you still have to go out and justify and say, hey, because Misho is probably growing alongside you and had not been the success that it was. So how does that conversation play out? It's really funny. And I remember having lots of chats with Vidit about exchanging notes on fundraising. You know, look, um, we, fundraising is never an easy journey, right? Uh, unless you have a large global brand behind you. And, you know, those global institutions normally have a similar set of LPs across different geographies. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, just not an easy journey. Uh, we've taken hundreds of meetings. We've met some incredible people. We've had a lot of tough decisions. And we've really, really enjoyed it because you get to interact with incredibly smart people. Um, to your question, 100%, it helps to have a couple of hits under, you know, under the belt. Uh, we were lucky, you know, towards the... Uh, towards the beginning of 2019, um, you know, I'd say middle of 2018 is when we really, you know, actively went out to market and, and started fundraising. Towards the beginning of 2019, a lot of our companies had seen a lot of scale and momentum on, uh, you know, as I mentioned, on all the capital that we deployed through, you know, the InvestoPad investments. We had returned all of our invested capital back within those four years. And uh, a lot of the markups in the other businesses, uh, you know, were, were quite impressive as well. So having that kind of track record and, you know, just to give you a sense, right, our, our portfolio at that point in time was marked up 12 times our investment amount. Our total value to pay in is currently 12.8 times on that fund. So I think having that kind of, um, you know, track record and, and seeing a couple of interesting hits like that, um, gave LPs a lot of comfort. But it's really funny, right, Akash? I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote. I remember, you know, talking to one large institutional fund um, in 2018. And, you know, and this is a time where we had just, you know, we had two exits. Uh, we had returned, you know, a fraction of our invested capital back. And he said, look, you know, the problem with India is that, you know, I, li I like you guys, but the problem with India is that, you know, you just don't see as much liquidity as you want to, as, you know, as you want to. So I said, you know, I took note of that and I heard that a couple of, couple other times in a few different other LP conversations. And finally, um, you know, sort of nine months later, I came back to him and said, hey, you know, we've actually returned every invested dollar back. And, you know, we've realized nine companies out of our 12 investments. So he said, well, what, you know, why have you done that? You know, do you not believe in, 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 in the company's long term? I was like, hey, man, you're the same guy that told me that, <laughs> you know, liquidity is at a premium. So look, you know, the, the, the truth is that fundraising is very hard. Your stars have to align on many different levels. 
well, institutions are normally incredibly difficult to raise money from for a first-time fund. Um, but uh, even for family offices, right, just sort of something as simple as uh, portfolio allocation into, into, into equity versus debt, into public versus privates, into, you know, other assets like real estate, uh, you know, everything kind of has, your stars have to align for you to meet somebody who is interested in a private asset class in India specifically and has the ability to be able to deploy, you know, a, a decent amount of capital, you know, into that. And then, you know, you go through the whole diligence process with them. And then, you know, you, you pray that they like you and that, you know, the, the, the interactions go well and that, you know, your reference checks turn out well and they enjoy their conversations with your portfolio and they ask you, you know, and, and, and you know, you answer, you know, their sort of, you know, diligence questions well. So look, you know, a lot of things have to culminate. We've been, you know, look, you know, I say that it's hard, and uh, it's still ongoing, right? We've done our first close uh, towards the end of the summer last year, and we'll do a final close for the fund at the end of this year. Um, you know, fundraising is never easy, but it's been a hell of an, uh, you know, a hell of an interesting journey, and we've met a lot of incredible people along the way. So I wouldn't trade it out for anything else in the world. You know, for our first-time listeners, could you break down what is a first close? And secondly, you know, when you talk about fundraising and that being a very interesting journey, but also a tedious journey, um, as most entrepreneurs will also kind of resonate with that, how long does it typically take for a fund manager to have a conversation from start to finish and hopefully end and, and that ending up in some sort of capital? Sure. So, um, you know, to your first question uh, about first close and, uh, and sort of subsequent closes, um, it is an interesting uh, look, you know, every fund wants to start operating quickly, right? The idea is that as a fund, uh, you know, you want to have a little bit of money in the bank and start deploying and you can keep raising money in parallel uh, with your investments actually happening. And, you know, normally you have uh, 12 to 18 months from your first close to do a final close and all incoming investors come in, you know, uh, at, a, at, a, at a sort of uh, fixed rate of interest. Uh, rather than, you know, the NAV of the portfolio, because obviously with NAV, you know, early stage companies, you see a lot of quick markups and then you may see a couple of write-offs. So um, the idea with the first close is that you aim to close, you know, between 40 to 60% of the capital that you're trying to raise in the first close and you at least are operational as managers and then you can carry on uh, with your second and subsequent closes till your final close, you know, which is 12 or 18 months out. What that time frame really does, and that time frame is incredibly important, right? Because what it does is that, you know, you have then a limited amount of time to be able to go out and make a couple of investments and you pray that those investments are, you know, sort of do well and are marked up quickly because then any new investors coming in, uh, come in basically, you know, uh, with a vantage to what your existing portfolio looks like. And they have a sense of, you know, what the companies are and they can do their own work to try and figure out, um, you know, what they look like. So that's sort of the difference between a first close and, and, a, and a final close. And remind me of your other question, please, Akash. Hmm? How long does it take you from first conversation to close? Like, what does a typical cycle look like? So I remember uh, the, the very first conversation we had about the fund was with, uh, you know, with one of my dear friends and mentors uh, who serves on our advisory committee today. And he's an LP in the fund. Uh, it, this is a gentleman who used to be at Extreme uh, called Sunny Madra. I remember Sunny saying that, guys, you know, it takes two to three years for a first time, you know, manager to close a fund. And I was super confused because, by, you know, already, you know, a month in, 
we were having you know one pretty detailed conversation with somebody anchoring the fund for about 20% of what we were looking to raise and we were confident that we'll be we'll be able to wrap things up within a year but you know as always sunny was right um and it you know it's take it took us about two years from when we started fundraising to actually do our first close and look you know as a first time manager there's a lot of work that you have to go out and do there's a, you know you you have to learn uh, a lot about you know the kind of materials you need to prepare the kind of things you need to have ready in your data room the way you're presenting your previous track record uh, the kind of questions that other you know potential lps would ask of you so you know all of this takes its work but you know i think we were fortunate to have a lot of good advisors around the table sort of directing us as to how to think through these things but you know for any anybody out there who's aspiring to be a, a fund manager for the first time you know i would be patient and i'd say give yourselves you know 2 to 3 years to be able to to be able to do it and you know look to be honest if you're an you know, venture enthusiast and you know you're you're sort of excited by a lot of investing and you're looking at scaling up in today's day and age there's a lot of great stepping stones as well right platforms like angelist have made life so much easier in india where you can put together a you know a blind pool of capital or an spv on a deal by deal basis and you know they you know then help you raise the remainder of that money so it really gives you a flavor of what you know portfolio construction and managing companies and managing investors looks like so you know to anybody out there who's who's keen to sort of you know go ahead and spin out and start a fund i'd say start spending a little bit of time on the angel list uh utsav somani who runs angelist in india is a dear friend uh, somebody who i really admire he's built you know a uh, an enviable sort of portfolio for himself as an investor as well and uh, obviously doing a phenomenal job operating at angelist as well i'm glad you brought that up because um, you know as you know you and i discussed before we hopped onto the podcast is that eventually the goal that i am trying to accomplish is also be a fund manager at some point and mm-hmm. i've started to put together an angel syndicate of nris who are looking at the indian market and want to invest in india so that's kind of like awesome. the initial kind of exposure that we are trying to gain ourselves and get a little more exposure by putting in our own money and trying to back some really exciting early stage startups in india i think that's a wonderful way to get exposure and also build a little bit of track record as you mentioned which will really help you in the long run if you're thinking about you know going out raising funds as a first time fund manager 100% i think that's a really really sort of uh, measured way of going going uh, you know taking the plunge into into investing in venture capital absolutely and one of the things that you mentioned in that last segment was portfolio construction now i'm kind of curious to understand what is the percentage of allocation for every startup and the thought process that goes behind developing a thesis and the factors that kind of like influence that earlier on mhm so uh look Uh, the way we think about it is that look different funds have different practices right i can tell you a little bit about you know how, you know different things we've seen and then how we look at the world for us um you know i think that uh well look you know i'll tell you a little bit about how it's been done before right seed investing is mostly you know a money ball for startups approach right people say that you know we back 100 companies and you know we have 10 winners and those 10 right. winners will it's you know, a spray and pray model exactly and uh look that's worked for some so you know i i will never knock it but it's just not the way we operate right given the amount of heavy lifting we enjoy doing and the fact that we enjoy working with companies um in such a sort of deep and detailed manner incredibly early as a two man gp you know we only do about six or seven transactions every year right so with a 25 million dollar fund the idea is that we you know do five or six deals per year and have a overall portfolio of 18 to 20 companies 
Of those 18 to 20 companies, we expect to have a core portfolio of four or five businesses. So, you know, and the idea there is that, you know, we reserve sort of half of our capital for follow-on investing. So when we see early breakout potential, we have the ability to either go ahead and lead a Series A or, you know, participate super pro or pro rata um, into some of those breakout businesses. So that's how we have thought about it. And, uh, you look, every fund has, has their own, you know, way of doing it. But from our experience as personal investors in our old portfolio, we, you know, left a lot of money on the table and a lot of really, really good businesses only because we didn't have the capital to be able to do it. So with the fund, we wanted to make sure that we don't make the same mistake again. And uh, actually already we're a portfolio of, of, of five companies only in, in Good Capital Fund One. And of those five companies, we've already, uh, you know, doubled down in two of them. That's wonderful. Now, Rowan, I wanted to enter my last segment, which is a rapid fire and put you on the spot and fire some really interesting questions at you and try and see how you will fare. And if you're okay with that, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to fire away some, some questions. Far away, my friend. Awesome. Now, what's the hardest thing about being a managing partner or in venture capital as in somebody who started out very, very young and early as you did? Uh, Two things. One is um, being taken seriously by a lot of older institutional LPs who really regard you as somebody young, inexperienced, and a first-time manager. And then the second thing on a more personal level is really managing your time, right? Between raising money, managing LPs, reporting, compliance, uh, and then the sort of real part of my job, which is uh, meeting teams, uh, helping them out, you know, reviewing uh, sort of investment decisions, making investment decisions, and then portfolio management. And I'd say I'd spend maybe 30% of my time just in portfolio management, working with our existing portfolio. I think these are the two kind of hard things about, uh, about being young in venture capital and having ownership in the firm and uh, a lot of responsibility. What are some of the intuitive and non-intuitive learnings that you've had in your short period as, as a fund manager? I'll tell you what's interesting to me. To me, I think that, you know, um, it's great to see that the ecosystem has so much demand and there's so many people that are looking at, you know, the tech ecosystem as an asset class. So that's something which to me has been fantastic. What kind of puzzles me is that across you know, numerous, uh, you know, series A, B, C, D funds, it's interesting because there's, you know, a couple of billion dollars, which is going to shape the way India grows over the next couple of decades and there's only a handful of people managing that money so that to me has always been a bizarre concept about you know money management there's a few decision makers who will dictate the way the country moves forward in the next couple of decades I more an observation you. you know nothing to add but you know just a it's kind of a bizarre observation no i love how you phrase that it's beautiful now, how have you seen yourself change as an investor in the short period that you've been in the industry, let's say about the last five or six years? What have you seen and how have you seen yourself evolve during that period? Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, great question for us. The big change has been, look, when you're starting out somewhere, the, uh, the mindset and, um, you know, mode is very much to kind of be a follower, right? But I think that we learned, you know, very early that, you know, if you, if you want to make a change, you got to take... Uh, the reins into your own hands and really lead uh, the way you're thinking about things. So I think first principle uh, thinking and bottom-up investing is, you know, be the two things that you know, I would focus on there. That, that's amazing. And what's the biggest asset a young fund manager like yourself can really have when he or she is starting out in their career? 
a great partner to do it with. Honestly, I'm blessed to be able to work with my brother. Uh, we, uh, we fight like mad, but we get along like a house on fire. Um, he knows me inside out. I know him inside out. And, uh, you know, honestly, there's very little bureaucracy in how we deal with each other. Uh, also, the fact that he's my younger brother is interesting because um, everything that I try to say, he wants to just bet against, right? So we end up having really interesting sort of heated debates about any transaction that we're looking at. And we know that, you know, by the time we back a deal, we've looked at pretty much every perspective possible. So, I mean, you know, one would be having a good partnership. And the second is surround yourself with people that are smarter and more experienced than you have. We're blessed to have a phenomenal uh, IC and board of advisors, all people that we've worked with, looked up to and respected for many years and are honestly just blessed to work with. That's the biggest hope, right? Every fund manager hopes that they have an amazing partner with them and who better than somebody who you've grown up with and who you've known your entire life to, to manage and run the fund. Amen. Exactly. Now, if you had, I don't know if you have an anti-portfolio already, but if you do, I'd love to hear any, anything that, that kind of like stands out. But if not, is there one particular startup outside your portfolio that you admire and why so? Wow. I think, look, uh, you know, I, I never really think of things in terms of an anti-portfolio. Sure, we've had our misses, you know, like everybody has. Um, I think the one company which I wish I had a check into and it's funny because you know, on the call before this podcast I was I said the same thing um, I have a lot of respect for Indian entrepreneurs that can build world-class enterprise products and um, one business in particular and look we've been fortunate to back companies like Hypertrack with CEOs like Kashyap Deora who are phenomenal you know operators and entrepreneurs in their own right Kashyap has built scale and sold three businesses this is his fourth goal uh, that really really isn't easy right so I have a lot of respect and admiration for anybody who's building enterprise products out of India and selling them globally. The one deal which I have a lot of admiration for uh, is a company called File, which is the expense management software out of India. We use it internally in our own firm. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I, 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 I was introduced to the founder just after he had done a seed round. And as a seed manager, you have this mindset that, oh, you know, if, if, if the seed is done, then, you know, I, then oh, Series A is probably too expensive for me. And, you know, we, we sadly never, you know, we, we spoke, I, you know, I said how much I, I liked this product, but we never really had a chance. We never really talked about commercials or a potential investment. So I'd say that, you know, that one was, uh, was, a, was a little bit of a miss. Look, there's, there's multiple companies that we've seen and not had a chance, an opportunity or passed on, you know, that have gone on to do incredibly well. Uh, and for us, it's just uh, awesome to see the ecosystem burgeoning the way it is today. Um, so, you know, uh, sure, as a manager, it's very easy to, to have regrets, but I think the less you hold on to, the better, you know, for your own mindset. Because for me, you know, if I start thinking about everything that I missed, I'll be full of regrets and I just don't think that it's a fair way to look at life. Absolutely. It's part of, it's part of what we do and um, you've got to live with it and eventually you'll have some successes and some not. Now, lastly, I wanted to, you know, this is like advice for two sets of listeners. Now, if you're a fund manager, what kind of advice do you want to give young fund managers who are thinking about going and raising funds or in the middle of raising funds? And second is what kind of advice do you want to give founders who are raising funding during this period, which is, you know, to say the least, a crisis that we're all, you know, dealing, dealing with? Sure. Uh, so look, to both your questions, Right. Point one for fund managers, I think the most important thing is to be as patient as you can, work on your narrative, make sure that 
you know, you're doing an awful lot of heavy lifting for the companies where you already invested and, you know, you're able to show some sort of results and success that gives everybody, everybody around the table a lot more comfort, right? So that is, that is very, very important for startups that are raising money uh, in today's day and age. Look, I think that um, we're at a really interesting crossroads because a lot of legacy funds, a lot of the larger global funds have, you know, substantial portfolios of their own to manage at the moment. So, you know, they're sort of slowing down the cadence of doing new, new sort of early deals right now. And everybody's kind of focused on managing. So, you know, look at managers, uh, look at sort of, you know, unconventional things, right? Look at managers you may not necessarily always look at that, you know, they may have a little bit of time to dig deep into your business and understand. But I think above and beyond anything else, you know, I think raising money right now is going to be difficult no matter what. So, you know, focus on something, right? If your idea was to go to market and raise money on a concept, you know, build your MVP, right? If your idea was that, you know, I have my MVP and I'm starting to see a little bit of scale, find a way to bootstrap and scale a little bit longer to sort of, you know, tide out the time. Build relationships. You know, I think the best entrepreneurs that I've seen are people who are great at at just like apprising people of what um, what everybody, you know, what, what they're up to. Uh, one of our portfolio company founders, uh, Hisham, who runs Entry, which is a test prep for government jobs in local language business, sends, you know, a mailing list around every month called Friends of Entry. It takes, you know, anybody all of two, three minutes to go through. And he just sort of captures his highlights of what he's achieved in the last month, what sort of problems he's faced, what interesting behaviors he may see. And honestly, you know, stuff like that is so important because it goes an awfully long way for uh, fund managers. And, you know, I say this because you know, I myself see, you know, I see myself as an entrepreneur, right? I too need to raise money from LPs. I too am doing it, you know, the first time around. So for me, it's really, really, you know, uh, you know I, I always find that, you know, writing, you know, sort of keeping people abreast of what we're up to is a great thing to do because, it, you know, you don't show up to be like, hey, you know, knock, knock, I'm here to raise a couple of million bucks. You're in touch. You're, you're sort of, you know, you may not be top of mind, but you're kind of, you know, uh, you know, at the back of their mind. And, and behavior like that is really, really important. Uh, so, you know, I think, uh, you know, stay in touch. Um, extend your runway yourself if you can. And, uh, you know, these are the, the few bits of advice I'd give any, any aspiring entrepreneur. That's a wonderful note to end the podcast on, Rohan. I'm so glad we were finally able to do this. It's better late than never. It's been a huge honor. Hey, I've been hey, a huge admirer of you and Arjun and what you guys have been able to achieve previously with Investorware and now with Good Capital. And I'm super stoked and rooting for you guys and the success. So it's been wonderful catching up with Thank you. Thank you so much, you. man. Uh, yeah, the pleasure is all mine. Honestly, I apologize that it's taken us so long to do this, but it's been a fantastic uh, an opportunity to finally have a chance with you, a chance to talk with you. And uh, we'll be sure to stay in touch. And good luck with everything that you're working on. Stay safe, stay well, stay healthy. And uh, look forward to getting together in person when things settle down a little bit more. Likewise. Well, I love Rohan and his journey. Good Capital has a bright future ahead of it and I couldn't be happier for them. Such a fascinating story of two brothers, two young investors making their mark on the Indian venture ecosystem. I wish him, his brother and Good Capital all the luck and success in the years to come. If you enjoyed that episode, be sure to subscribe to us and leave us a rating and review on any of your podcasting platforms. By doing so, you'll help others discover this podcast and you know what? Good karma always comes back. We're also now available on Geo Savan. So if you know anyone who listens to their content on Geo, 
nudge them and let them know about us. We have another great guest lined up for next week, so make sure you tune back in again. Until then, stay safe, everybody, and continue to keep hustling. <laughs>